and I uh, hope that you'll continue to follow along with us and be a part of our service today um, and open your Bibles to Mark chapter 9. Uh, we're going to be reading from Mark 9, uh, verse 14 through 29 uh, will be our opening read this morning. Then we'll talk about what I believe God is saying to us, specifically to the church this morning from this passage of Scripture. So Mark 9, verse number 14 through 29, if you found your place, this is what the Word of God tells us today. When he came to the disciples, that's Jesus, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing or arguing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him and greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit or has some sort of uh, a devilish spirit that was, that, was dis- that was attacking him. And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples. I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. He answered him and said, O faithless generation, how long, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire, into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. When Jesus saw the people coming together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, Death and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him, enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, and came out of him, and he became as one dead. So many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he came into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? Why could we not help the boy? So he said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. You know, I think every Christian has turned to their Bibles in this time over this past few weeks and looked for some sort of scriptural insight, um, even some precedent regarding our current situation. I think even those who aren't Christian or those that maybe have walked away from the faith in recent times, I think all of, of many are turning to the Bible, turning toward the church for some sort of help some sort of understanding and perspective for all this. Many people are interested, and, and, and they're more than interested, they're concerned. Uh, they're hopeful that maybe God, if there is a God, or, or the one true God, Jesus, maybe God has something to say to us in this time. And we take heart knowing that he does have something to say to us, something good to say to us, which is why we turn toward him with ears to hear and hearts to be filled. You know, people are especially sensitive right now to the Holy Spirit in our world. During this season, I believe, and it's in times like these, I believe our voices matter more than ever. Our witnesses matter more than ever. But the only problem is, of course, we can't really do any witnessing in this season in the flesh, right? But that doesn't mean we can't still reach out. It doesn't mean we can't still use our social channels and to encourage and offer perspective to many, many non-believers in our feeds and, and reach out to our friends and family, maybe even a few people you haven't talked to in a while to remind them that you love them, you're praying for them, and that God has a plan for them. 
See, many people right now want to believe and want to hope and believe and find purpose in this season. You know, as a minister, I feel especially present, uh, responsible to use my platform and answer my calling now more than ever to search the scriptures and reach out to people with encouraging and reviving words from God. And, and, and also, though, as a pastor, I feel like God is really wanting to use this time to speak to his church and in a very clear and maybe even convicting way because I think he's intending on using this time to teach and prepare us for something that's about to happen and something that we can witness in our world. So if you're tuning in this morning, I think, it's, I think there's plenty of encouragement to find in our talk today, but I also encourage you to check out our page and, and, and stay tuned to our Facebook page as we continue to post shorter messages throughout the week, offering some scripture to help um, face what we face and find help from the word. But in our time this morning, I believe God is wanting to talk to us as a church and as believers as he did last week. I believe he wants to talk to us about our place in the world and I believe this is a time of preparation for God's people. So if you're watching, I hope you'll engage with us this morning around this idea and be in conversation around this idea and give some thought to this going forward. What is our place in the world? What is, and by, by our place, I mean, what is the church's place in our world? And I don't mean the brick and mortar buildings, right? Because they're pretty much empty all around our country right now. I'm talking about the collective members of the body of Christ. All of you that are watching this morning, we might be separate, but we are one body in Christ. We long to be and are meant to be together, yes, but thank God in this time we can still come together in this virtual way. We have a place in this world and a purpose in this world. I hope you know that, and I hope you find excitement from that. I hope you're living up to that. And of course, we all fall short, but it's an exciting thing it, 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 to be a part and belong to the movement of God. We are always on mission from God, and, and that's exciting to me. You know, that's encouraging to me. That's empowering to me. I hope it is to you as well, that we belong to something. We belong to somebody you have a place as a member of the church, the gathering, the movement of Jesus in the world, belonging to, being a part of something eternal, something heavenly, something unstoppable. That is incredible, isn't it? Everyone is welcome to join this movement. The dues and cost of entry were paid in full by Jesus Christ with his own blood. You know someone wants you and loves you when they do that for you. But right now we're isolated. That doesn't mean that the church uh, has to be idle, though. That doesn't mean that we have to just stand still. I think God wants to use this time to prepare us all, to prepare us all to be more alive in Christ than ever before, to walk fully, walk in his power and purpose and his plans. You know, this is a really unique opportunity for the church, and I mean this honestly. You know, obviously, you never want to miss and have things be like they are, but for pastors of all ages and churches of all kinds, you know, Sundays come one after another, and as soon as you're done with one Sunday, there's another Sunday or even a Wednesday coming. It's like a revolving door of pre preparation for this week and for this week. And while we're still working and creating services in this time, this time has forced us into a hiatus of sorts where we can do what we really can't do in a normal season. Take time and reflect, evaluate, survey how well we are at being who we aspire to be. We try to do this throughout the year, yes, but you can't stop pushing forward to next week. But in this season, we all have an opportunity to spend time in prayer and thought. In this season where we are almost in unison turning toward God, as well as when we can't all convene and do, no, do what we normally do, we've got a rare opportunity 
a rare opportunity to evaluate who we are, evaluate what we do, and evaluate how we're doing. It's like when ancient Israel was going through its many seasons of, of, of waiting and preparation. Um, the people were at a standstill um, at what was next in their journey, and God rose up a prophet named Haggai. Very short book, but a very powerful message. Haggai would begin his sermons like this over and over again. Consider your ways, as if this pause, this this, this time period, this season, is an opportunity for God's people to consider what they've been doing, how they've been doing it. See, we have, like they did, an unexpected but God-given opportunity to evaluate and reconsider our approach. And I think God is using this to begin a revival of biblical and prophetical proportions in our world. So who are we? We're Christians. But what does that mean? You know, Christian is more than a label or a category. It's more than just filling out a resume or a profile or a doctor's form where you check, I'm a Protestant or I'm a Catholic or I'm a Christian other, right? Being a Christian is more than a label or a category. It's a lifestyle. It's a way of life. Christian, I think, could best be defined as belonging to and becoming like Christ. To belong to Christ means we're as committed to him as he's committed to us. And we know how committed he is to us, right? To become like Christ means that we are above all as compassionate for others as he has been compassionate for us. Throughout the Gospels, we find Jesus constantly coming to people, and the Scripture will say he was moved by compassion. So we should be moved by compassion as well. We also find him always calling his disciples to follow him no matter what, to stay committed because even when it gets tough, you can trust that God is committed to you and that it's worth it. You see, for Christians, for Christ-like people, who we are and what we do is attached. You can't talk about who we are without also talking about what we do because Christian literally evokes being someone and becoming like someone. So how are we doing at being Christians? How are we doing at being the church? And I want to ask you a question that if, every, if the house was full, everybody would go, mmm, after this. Because that's what Baptists do and that's what evangelicals do when the preacher makes a point, even if it's not good at all. I think it's just kind of our, our response, right? If you don't want to say amen, because you don't really know if you agree with it or not, you at least kind of have to, mmm. So maybe all of you watching at home and the few in here can, can do that with me. Because this is a pretty provocative question, I think. In this time when the church has been forced to step into isolation, in our absence... Is there a noticeable difference? Mm, right? In this time when we've been forced to take a step back, in this time when we aren't in the public, when we aren't on the mission field like we are supposed to be every day, when we aren't shining the light at work, when we aren't doing this in the community like we used to or always do, when we aren't filling up the houses on Sundays, in this time when we've been forced to step into isolation, is there a noticeable difference? Now that we're absent. You see, God chose to embody the church 2,000 years ago as an outpost for his kingdom. We are the force. The church is the force through which he draws people to him, through which he makes his presence known, and through which he works good. The kingdom came near at the beginning of the gospel of Mark. The church should be and is God's choice way of reminding the world that God has drawn near. And now that we can't operate on all eight cylinders, now that we're having to love and shine from a distance, is our world missing us? 
See, as the church, we've been called to live out our faith at home, in the community, at work. We've been called to be a light and love and be an example before others. We're called to invest and invite. We're called to serve and reach out. We're called to be ready and open and to any opportunity that God might give us and be the hands and feet of Jesus on any given day. If we were doing those things, there, there is now a gap present in many places because we aren't able to do those things like we were. See, if there isn't this disconnect right now in the world, then that might be telling us something. See, God doesn't need us, but he chooses to use us and work in this way. So right now, the best way to love our neighbor is by being at distant and respecting each other, but that's unique for these circumstances. We all know how God began with community, and he uses community to extend his love and his power. You see, the world might not be missing the brick-and-mortar operations. They didn't come anyway. So they don't miss that we're doing, not in the building this morning. But they ought to be missing the light we put out there and the love we lived out every day. If they aren't missing it, then maybe we're missing something. If they aren't missing us, maybe we're the ones missing something. Hello? You see, here's how I arrived at this. And, and again, Maybe we weren't as bright and warm as we were supposed to be. You know, the Bible's full of seasons of preparation, and it just fits in with the tone and theme of what we're going through. But all throughout the Gospels and the life of Jesus, Jesus used to take these momentary steps away from the spotlight. Maybe you didn't know this, but he used to isolate himself for a short period of time. Maybe just an evening, uh, maybe just a day. He would go across the lake on a boat, and people would go. People would would, would get really upset because they were they, they wondered where he went. He would go up to the mountains to pray for the morning. But every time he went away for a little bit, and just a little bit, every time he went away, the crowds and the masses all would go wild because they missed what Jesus was bringing to the table. And maybe you see where we're going with this. See, Mark 9 has to be one of the most convicting and eye-opening passages of Scripture and one of the most sobering encounters in the history of the church. And it was just the beginning of the church, mind you. As the church in its earliest form has allowed a glimpse into a mirror, an early evaluation that should be one of the most referenced and studied texts in the church. But sadly, we hardly ever talk about this passage. Jesus had taken Peter, James, and John up to a mountain to pray And that's when he made it very clear to them who he was and he punctuated who they were in his, who they were as followers and as representatives of his kingdom. He showed him, showed them his full glory and his transfiguration and he commissioned them to go and live out his light and his love in a dark world. See, Peter, James, and John come off the mountain in awe of who they're following and also more determined than ever to make known and live up to his name and to his nature. Peter would, later on in his life, before he died, he would write how inspired he was by this experience and how it left him a different man. Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. So here's what Peter's saying. That the divine power that he witnessed on that mountain, the divine power that he witnessed in the life and the presence of Jesus every day, that Jesus shared that with Peter, and that Jesus shares that with everyone who is a believer. The Holy Spirit lives in everybody's heart. He gives us this divine nature. He gives us what pertains to true life and being godly, calling us to a lifestyle of excellence. 
Peter goes on to talk about how that excellent lifestyle was full of these virtues like faith, perseverance, self-control, and most of all, love. Peter says at the end of that passage, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. So Peter says, hey, I've got to remind y'all who we are following and what we are supposed to be doing in his stead. But not everybody got to go on the mountain today with Peter. The second string is down, on the, down in the, the, the city dealing with a rowdy and anxious crowd who were wondering when Jesus was going to be back. And this crowd was not satisfying them and not impressing them like Jesus always would. Here's the setup. The remaining disciples had entered the town and attempted to do what Jesus would do, but they find out, and we find out from the story, um, that, that what they attempted to do and what they were able to do were far from each other. The world was hungry and seeking and inquiring. They were desperately crying out for God, but the representatives they came to were in no way equipped to connect them to God. The church was in no way equipped or prepared to bridge the gap between the world and God like Jesus had been doing. And actually, instead of bridging the gap, instead of reconciling the divide, they were actually making the situation worse. Follow with me once again, Mark 9, 14 through 18. When he came to the disciples down the mountain, he saw a great crowd around them and the scribes disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. And he asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them, with the disciples? Then one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And he goes on to tell him what it was doing. And he says, I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not help me. So let's break this down. Jesus comes down the mountain with Peter, James, and John. And verse 14 is so telling, and it's scary how much this reflects us. The church is found surrounded by a great crowd as the crowds are out there watching and waiting and wondering what we're all about. Meanwhile, the church is engaging with the religious leaders, arguing and debating. Rather than facing and helping the world, the church was engaged in foolish internal debates and arguments. Does that not sound like what we, the church, go through in our own day and time? Rather than facing and helping a world that is in need, and clearly as they were in Jesus' day, they surround us, whether they admit it or not, or say to us or not, they want the hope that we have, they need the hope that we have, but the world finds us not facing it or helping it, but rather engaged in foolish internal arguments. Now, I'm not saying there aren't things worth debating and sides worth taking, hear me clearly, but this isn't a good look, no matter the reason. Think about how much energy the church often uses, better yet, wastes doing this. I mean, it's Protestant versus Catholic. It's charismatic versus non-charismatic. It's traditionalist versus contemporary. It's Baptist versus Baptist versus other Baptists. And what do we argue about? Translations and spiritual gifts and methods and, and all these things that are so incidental. Meanwhile, a world is just wanting to know about Jesus and hear about Jesus, and we ignore them because we're too busy trying to see which church is holier and more spiritual. When the things we argue about aren't even spiritual issues, they're superstitious in the grand scheme of things. 
We argue over inside baseball while we forget the outsiders. We never argue or debate about how we should love people the best or how we should serve people more. No, we argue about stuff that in the long run isn't even helpful to nobody. Again, I'm not saying there isn't a place for this discourse, but when, the, when, the place of, when this takes the place of the main course, something's wrong. Rather than working together to reach a lost world, to help a hurting world, we work against each other, trying to one-up each other. None of that stuff is spiritual anyways. What's spiritual is whatever communicates God's love and plan for people. What offers practical and real help to people. That's what God cares about. That's what the church is called to do. If you're watching today, if you're a non-believer, maybe you walked away from church. Maybe you don't believe because this is the church you've often come into. Listen, the world is usually turned off by the church long before they ever hear about Jesus the real Jesus. It's usually something they hear or see in his representatives that turns people away. But I believe, and the Gospels back up the fact that Jesus is irresistible when nothing gets in his way. Our world today desperately needs Jesus, but sadly so often when they come to us, they don't find help. They don't find open arms. They don't even find open doors. They find us preoccupied over lesser things. We can't even love one another. How much less do we love every other? We struggle to even agree for the greater good about what's to be done inside, let alone outside. Here's the thing. I love to talk about, I love to write about and preach about my convictions and my stances, uh, my takes on this theological idea, but I rarely do that in public. Because we are called to love and edify and build up in the broadest and farthest reaching of ways. Paul told the intellects and the mystics of Corinth to take that stuff home. When it comes to what we do here, who we are from here, it's about what clearly communicates the love of God, the gospel of Jesus to the person at their lowest and least informed. You see, I believe. I believe if we just get people to Jesus, that's enough. And more than enough, that's what matters most. If we show people the benefit and value of following Jesus in the simple everyday areas of life that that translates to them, that can be eye-opening for them. If we show people that following Jesus makes life better and makes us better at life, that is enough to get people's attention. And that's what truly gets people's attention. God forbid we turn people away for unnecessary reasons or lock people out with unnecessary burdens or barriers. In the crowd that day was a father with a son who was in dire straits. Verse 17 and 18 again tells us that this boy had been really under attack by some demonic spirit. Now we've talked about this, but no doubt God had sent his son to save the earth. No wonder Satan had sent his demons to try to enslave the earth. Right? People ask about the demon possessions of the Gospels. Listen, Jesus was God in flesh on earth. It's no wonder that Satan tried to counter that and bring his demons to earth to try to enslave the people that Jesus was saving. So here's this young boy in torment with some evil spirit, a father who is equally distressed in his own way, and the church didn't know what to do with him. The church didn't have a place for him. There was no category for helping someone like him. They didn't know what to do or how to do it. He wasn't already one of them, so the church didn't know what to do with him. 
This is so convicting for churches, but I see this in my own ministry, the blind spots. It's why churches don't know what to do with certain kinds of people and certain types of families. And when people don't fit in a nice box and they don't come from stock that we expect them to, we don't know what to do. They asked the disciples for help, but the disciples were not able. More than not able, they weren't interested. They weren't concerned about people like this boy. You know what I think this really speaks to? How many of us have ever thought, as long as I'm not affected, it's really no big deal to me. See, rarely do we ever walk across the line and take the shoes of somebody else that's going through something that we don't ever think we'll go through. See, many people are thinking that now with the COVID-19 virus, right? Well, it won't happen to me. It can't happen to me. We treat many problems in the world like this. We treat many who are afflicted and troubled by these conditions like, like you know, that we don't have it and we won't ever have to deal with it. So when they come to us in need or an opportunity arrives for us to to help someone in need, we don't know what to do. We don't know where to start. We often pray and hope that we just get back to happier thoughts. I think sometimes we get the wrong idea about what our mission as Christians is. Jesus says later on in Mark 10, I came not to be served. I came to serve. And he says to you and me, we are to follow that same example. To be great, Christians calls, Christian calls for us not to lord over or live larger than others. It doesn't call for us to live in our ivory towers and throw breadcrumbs to the sick and the poor. It calls for us to go down and do for others what God has done for us. Every situation is different. We may not always have the fix or an immediate solution, but what do we have? As Christians, we have hope. We have faith. We have love. We have perspective. We often have resources that others don't. So we should give, 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 because God so gave to us. See, I see God doing something in the church in this season. I see him decentralizing the church. Not in the place of Sundays, but to wherever we are every other day. I see Sundays getting back to where it was meant to be, equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. I see God's people coming with eager, hungry hearts, ready to go on the mission field, ready to go and represent Jesus and love people for Jesus. Because there are plenty of fathers with sons out there looking for help. There are plenty of hurting people out there looking for humble and kind souls who will be able to help them in some and any way. Listen to Jesus' response to the disciples. This isn't to the Father. O faithless generation, how long shall shall I be with you or bear with you? He says to his disciples, how long am I going to have to put up with y'all? Now, he loved them, and he loves us. But his emotion there is pretty telling to how he felt about the church in this moment. He says, bring him to me. That's what they were always supposed to be doing, right? See, we often treat people like they're lab rats when they come into the church or come into our lives. We size them up. We analyze them. We want to ask them all kinds of questions before we ever even are willing to help. When someone comes into our churches, when the church goes into the world, our mission is to bring people to Jesus, not into our religion or into our cult. We should be able to bring Jesus to people. If he lives in us and works through us like he can and wants to. 
Verse 22 is so powerful. Often he has thrown him both into the fire, into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. The father has one request. He says, Jesus, here's the one thing. I don't even know if he can be healed. At this point, I don't even know if I even care if he's healed. But your disciples and these religious leaders, they didn't even care about him. So if you can just have compassion, that'd be more than I've ever gotten from anybody else. So the ancient world wasn't much different than ours. No one had time for compassion. People were too busy with consumption. Compassion was considered a weakness, not a virtue. It made people look soft. Compassion, why should I have compassion for them? If they were like me, they wouldn't need my help. No, we may not say that, but that's under our skin sometimes, isn't it? Driving us and deceiving us. Jesus would say in another place, if our privilege, if our superior, more right beliefs, if whatever we get our sense of power from, if that prevents us from having compassion, it would be better that we cut those things out of our lives than go to hell with them. Let me ask you a question. Next slide. Does our superior beliefs, power and privilege, ever prevent us from showing compassion? Has that ever happened to you? Oh, well, they just don't, they just have it wrong. They're so wrong. They just see the world so wrong and they, they vote the wrong way and they live the wrong way. No wonder they're living, no wonder their life's in a mess. They just don't believe the right way and that's why they're in the problems they've got. Oh, you know what? I, I, I saved or I was smart and I prepared for this. So, hey, you know what? I wish you would have done that too. Or, you know what? I've never had to deal with that. I've always just lived above that and you know what? Thank God for it and I wish you would have had it better off, but I'm sorry. Now, we may not say things like that, but isn't it true that sometimes our superior beliefs, our perspective and point of view, our power and our privileges, they often prevent us from having compassion on people? Couldn't that be what is the most wrong about the church today? Revelations 2 and 3 are these little letters that Jesus, through John, sent to the churches of Asia in the ancient world. Um, late 90, early 100 AD. Jesus sent a postcard to the church of Laodicea that many believe is a picture of the church in our era. Whether it is or not, it seems pretty appropriate. Here's what Jesus says to, the, to that church that doesn't see that they have any needs and doesn't realize there's a world out there that has needs and isn't willing to help them. Jesus says, for you say I am rich. I prospered and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. He says, hey y'all, have you forgotten that the condition the people you judge are in is the same condition that you were in before you were saved or you are still in? Jesus, I counsel you to buy, you, to buy from me gold refined by fire so you might be rich spiritually. White garments that you might be clothed and the shame of your nakedness may be not seen. Sal to anoint your eyes so that you may see. You see what Jesus is saying? He says to the church that doesn't see the need or isn't reaching it out and meeting the needs, do you realize your own needs and what I can do for you and what I have done for you? 
To those whom I love. He says this out of love. I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. So could this pause that God's given us, could this season of separation be a time of discipline? A time where God says to us, I love you. But remember who you are. And I'm preparing you for a season of ministry like never before. Be zealous for that. Repent and get back to where you were before. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come to him and eat with him and he with me. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to who? To the churches. This is what God is saying to us right now. Now, after this man from the religious, uh, from this man uh, gets free from the religious crowd and Jesus cleans up the mess the church had made, Jesus tells this man that all that matters, all that matters is in what it takes to find help and find salvation and peace from God, whatever help God might be wanting to bring to you at any given moment. All it takes is faith. All it takes is trusting God. See, right now many of you are watching and this is what you need to hear. You don't need religion. You don't need every question answered. You and we just need to take God at his word and trust and rest in his promises. See, if you're putting your trust and your way in this world right now, you're going to be wearied and restless pretty quickly. You're already wearied and restless, amen? Jesus says, put your weight, cast your cares on me, for I care for you. This man tells Jesus that he will do that, but he's still got a lot of questions. And Jesus says, that's okay. Just take my hand and trust me with those questions. Never let your doubts get bigger than what you know. Never let what's unexplainable or unknown become bigger than what's undeniable. And you know what's undeniable this morning? God knows you. God loves you. That's undeniable. It's written from cover to cover. God knows your name. He has a purpose for you. He has a plan for you, and he loves you. You can know him. You can trust him. Your faith does not have to diminish in this difficult season. Your faith can flourish because your confidence is not in yourself. It's not in this world. It's in God. Right now, there's a lot of unknowns, a lot of unexplainable things, and those things might be big, but they aren't as big as what we know. They aren't as big as who we know. They aren't as big as God and His plan for you, His love and His power over you. We know that all things are in His hands and that all things are working out for our good. No matter what, this season will end like verse 27. Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up. And what did the boy do? He arose. You can take Jesus by the hand. He will lift you up and he can resurrect you from any crisis or season. It may not always be the physical need that you have being met, but the spiritual need, the eternal need. God will never not reach for you when you reach for him. He will never not raise you up and give you something better than what was behind you before we close Jesus has one more word with the church which I think is for us today verse 28 when they come to the house afterwards his disciples said why could we not cast it out see they were looking at this boy like he was a project 
it was like a, they had a magic book, right? Well, why couldn't we do it? We, we said the thing. We cast this. Why couldn't we help him? Why couldn't we cast it out? And Jesus says, first problem is, that's not a project. It's a person. And not every person is going to have the same problem. You can't just go to a category in a book and say, well, this is what we need to do. Prescribe this or do that or say that. This is a person that needs to know that you care about them. This is a person that's going to take some investment. Because just having the talking points ironed out isn't going to prepare us for real people with raw problems. Jesus says this kind can come out by no, nothing else but prayer and fasting. And listen, the church, these guys, they got it. They figured it out. The reason why they changed the world is they understood what Jesus meant when he says this only will happen when you dedicate yourself in prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting, it prepares us for situations like this and prepares us for what's next. Fasting helps understand what prayer is really about. We often think prayer is just about getting our will to God, and if God doesn't answer us, then God let us down or prayer didn't work. But fasting tells us otherwise. You see, both prayer and fasting are about breaking our wills to bring them under submission to God. A way of saying to your flesh, I'm not putting your needs up there because your needs are not the most important thing. Breaking our wills, bringing them under submission to God, sinking our hearts with God because we know God knows best. And we know that is the only way we'll have the perspective we need to face a world in need with the power and the ability to help a world in need. Listen, our wills are always going to skew towards what's short-term gain, and also our wills are always going to create a worst-case scenario and always panic when we don't see how things are going to work out. Regardless whether you're in prosperity or in poverty, whether you're in success or in sorrow, prayer and fasting is a way of bringing your will under God's power and under God's anointing. For our own sense of clarity and purpose, if you really want to know God's will, open His Word, yes, but pray and fast. Anchor yourself. That's what praying and fasting really means. It's anchoring yourself in Jesus. I believe Jesus is calling his church right now into a season of prayer and fasting once again so that we can know what to do and be able to serve him even in seasons like this, but especially beyond this. We don't have to be overcome with fear or dread, but we can overcome fear and dread with hope and with faith. If there is a God of grace and mercy, holy and almighty, that is inviting you and me to be filled with him, is there anything more valuable than that pursuit? And if anything stands in our way, our own flesh even, it's worth whatever it takes to overcome that. God wants to be known by you. He can be known by you. You can know him as much as you have the appetite and desire to know. We can be used by God as much as we surrender to his plans where we ask him to prepare us Prepare us to be the greatest force for good in our world. Prepare us to bring his presence into our world like it was always meant to be. Church, while we're missing from the world, we can be preparing for our mission in the world so that they and we don't miss out on what God can and wants to do through his church. Because here's the thing. This season will one day be a memory. 
Will we remember it as a time when we became more prepared to be on mission for God than ever before? To bring people to Jesus and to bring Jesus to people? Will we remember this as a season that God started some amazing movement? Or will it just be a bad memory? Let's commit ourselves to him and his reign over us. Let's redeem this time. Because yes, the days are evil, but our hearts can be filled with God in this time. And if God's people who are called by his name will humble themselves and pray and seek his face and ask him to prepare them for the season to come, and use this season to be prepared and to be uh, primed and ready to take our world by storm with the love and the light of Jesus Christ. If you're watching this morning and you, you find yourself in the shoes of the disciples who weren't able to do anything, yet they should have been able, maybe you want to join us and commit to this season of prayer and fasting to not just get this season behind us, not just to ask God to remove this crisis from us, but to get us ready for what's gonna happen next. Maybe you're watching, you're like that father with that son and you just come to God with so much distress and so much agony and you're looking for help and maybe you've stumbled into the right place today and God's wanting to give you help and God's spirit is moving right now from screen to you. All it takes is faith in Jesus. Putting yourself, anchoring your trust in him because he can do what we can't do. And yes, you've got questions, but what's unknown and unexplainable is not and will never be greater than what's undeniable. God loves you, he knows you, and he wants you to be his, and he wants you to walk in favor this morning. Worship is gonna sing us one last song called Forever Rain. It's an invitation to come running to the arms of God. If you have a need, as they sing, would you pray, and we'll pray along with you, that God would give us exactly what we need. Prepare us to be exactly who we need to be. God bless you.